Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. You are listening to The Drew Marshall Show. It's our Christmas special. But as we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, Christmas isn't always filled with joy and laughter. Sometimes Christmas is one of the darkest times of the year for many people. A few months ago, uh, our good friend, nationally syndicated radio host Delilah, revealed to everyone that one of her children took his life. And I thought, oh, man, first of all, how do I ask her to share about this on my show without seeming insensitive? But at the same time, you guys know I'm very passionate about, uh, you know, getting below the surface all the time, but especially at Christmas. And uh, I, I know it's a tough time of year. Look, I grew up in the funeral business, and December was always crazy busy uh, at the family funeral home. So to to shed a little light on, on, I don't know, on darkness at Christmas or grieving through the holidays, whatever kind of labels you want to put on it, it is our good friend Delilah. Hello, darling Delilah. Hi, Drew. Um, yeah, I don't think there's any 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 label you can put on this. It's, it's it's outside of labels. It's outside of you know trite phrases. It's outside of books. It's it's you know like trying to trying to name the stars in the sky. Right. Right. Which somebody actually did for my son Zach in his honor, named a star in his honor, which I thought was very sweet. Well, look, um, I don't know. It seems weird to just go right into, so tell us what happened and tell us how you're doing. I, can I just actually start this conversation with tell us about Zach? Sure. Um, Zach is my last born biological son. Um, he was quite a surprise. I had been told by fertility experts after Shayla was born that I wouldn't be able to to have any more biological children, and that's when I embarked upon the adoption option, uh, planning to adopt one, and I found we found one child through the state through the foster care program that uh, we adopted and then found out in the process he had two siblings that were also in foster care that had been split up from him. So then we got custody of them, and during all that process, at almost 40 years old, I got pregnant. So he was uh, a surprise and a blessing on many, many, many levels. Uh, <laughs> if I was to run into him, uh, I don't know, at some social function, some event, some Delilah fan party or something... What, what would that interaction look like, do you think? You know me a little bit. What would that look like? Uh, well, you would be automatically drawn to him because you, Drew, are always kind of going against the grain. And you, you, you dance to a different drummer. You march to a different... I would say march, but you don't really march. <laughs> There's no marching in your world. No. And, uh, and that was Zach. He, he, he definitely... Um, had his own unique style, his own unique personality. He was uh, very cool. He, for some reason, uh, just had this cool factor about him that certainly didn't come from stumbling, bumbling me. Uh, he was too cool for school, you know what I mean? He was, to look at him, you would never have known he was biologically my child because he was, I'm big, I'm 5'10", almost 5'11", and 
big boned and Zach was very slight built. He was, my firstborn son was nine pounds at birth. Zach was just five pounds. Hmm. Um, he was just very unique, clever, funny, edgy, artsy, wicked, wicked good timing in his sense of humor. <laughs> Do you, uh... great kid. Delilah, do you think people picked up on this battle with the darkness that that he struggled with for so long? Do you think outsiders would have known? Well, first off, he didn't battle with the darkness for so long. That's that's uh, he didn't suffer with depression for so long. He went into a depression, a state of depression, situational depression last winter. He lived with me his whole life. His dad and I divorced when he was a baby. He, he never has no remembrance of us ever been together. Okay. In fact, funny story, when he was four or five, he found a wedding picture from our wedding, and his dad, when I married him, was a rocker, uh, had his own rock band, and had hair down, you know, almost to his butt. And uh, Zach came to me just really offended, and he said, why did you marry a woman? <laughs> and I'm like, um... A lot of my friends have done that, but I'm not one of them, honey. I never married a woman. He said, yes, you did. And he went and stomped in the other room and opened the door and pulled out this picture from my wedding where I'm in a white suit at an altar marrying a person with hair longer, much, much, much longer than mine. <laughs> and I laughed and I said, oh, sweetheart, that's your father. I married your daddy. And he said, no, that is a girl. And so I had to go find all the other wedding pictures, which I had saved for him and his sister. And where you could see his dad's face go on, because this was you know, more his back and his hair. Yeah. And I said, this is your daddy when he was young. And this was the day we got married. I said, I married him. I had Shayla. And then I had you. And he stomped his foot again. And he goes, that is impossible. <laughs> I said, no, honey, I, I really did. He goes, no, because my dad, he doesn't even like you. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, and he didn't very much while we were married, and um, that's why we're not. Oh, so Zach never had any um, knowledge of us being married. And right. um, a couple of years ago, he asked if he could go live with his dad. And I said, well, legally, I can't stop you. You're over 16, but I don't think it's a good idea. So he had planned on moving in with his dad, and then on the day that his dad was to pick him up, his dad called me and said, hey, I just, I can't do it. I can't take care of myself, so I'm in no shape to take care of a teenager. And that really mm. crushed his heart, because he had made plans. But he readjusted, and he did, um, you know, he finished his junior year, and then his senior year comes along, and he made the same request. And I said, well, I, I'm not the one that changed the plans last year. So that's between you and your dad. So things um, came together. And in September, I took him uh, two hours away to live with his father. Wow. And I knew in my gut it was a really bad idea. Zach is extremely social. He's always the life of the party. He was dancing and performing. He was in theater. He was in choir. He loved to be on stage. Hmm. He was a natural born performer. And, you know, we have no less than 10 people in our house at any given time. So to go from that to complete isolation with a man who is very much a hermit, 
I knew was not going to be good. And to try to start a new school your senior year when you've got a huge circle of friends, I knew it was going to be tough. Mm. But I couldn't stop him. So in September, he moved in with his dad. Um, I had bought him a car for his birthday. And he took the car. And just a month later in October, we had a huge storm in the Pacific Northwest that knocked out power to Seattle for days. And he was driving home in that storm and got in an accident. And when he got in the accident, uh, he hit uh, a police officer. Oh. And for about two hours out of his life, he thought he had killed this man because it knocked him out. The officer wasn't wearing a seatbelt and he hit the windshield. And so when Zach saw him, he was unresponsive. Wow. And even though the man was fine, he got stitches in his forehead. He was released that night. That terror stayed with my son, and he never drove again. So that was kind of the beginning of the of the spiral. Um, so that was October, the end of October, the last week in October. And then in December, his uh, girlfriend broke up with him via text. He went to school the next day, not understanding why, because there was no explanation, just I'm not into you. And when he went to school, this little circle of friends that he had made surrounding this girl, you know, the edgy kids, the girls with purple hair and the guys with the pierced ears, gauged ears, they, they just turned their back on him and bullied him. And he had no understanding of what he had done wrong. Wow. You know, he had cheated on her, betrayed her, lied to her, hurt her. She just decided to end it, which, you know. Is a 17-year-old girl's right, but when she ended their relationship, he lost all of his new circle of friends. Right. And that really put him in a downward spiral. So the combination of those things, living with his dad, being isolated, moving away from his circle of friends, not being in choir, not being in drama, not being popular, not only not being popular because he was very popular at his school that he left, but being shunned and having his heart broken put him into a deep depression. And then uh, when he went, he came and spent winter break with me. We had a blast. We went up to Canada. We. I'm sorry. Hold on. You went to Canada and you didn't even ring my doorbell, go out for wings. Didn't come knocking. Nope. We went hiking. We went hiking in the snow for three days and hot tubbing. And it was glorious. And he had a blast. And we came back, and he was doing good. He seemed to have, you know, kind of regrouped. He left my house, went to his dad's house, and immediately got sick. Mm. And his dad didn't take him to the doctor. And after a week and a half of missing school, I finally called an Uber, got him to the doctor over there, and he had uh, sinus and ear infections, which he had been suffering from for a week. And so he missed two weeks of school. And... I just woke up one morning and said, I got to go see my son. So I drove over to have lunch with him. And when I got there, I found that he was in with a mental health specialist because he had gone in to see his counselor and been informed he was not going to graduate. Wow. Because he had missed those two weeks of school and missed his major test that he was going to have to take uh, two courses in the summer school. And that just, it just, it just took him out of the knees. 
and he was devastated. Hmm. And so they called the mental health professional, and uh, you know, I kicked into panic mode and called his father, and we had him on 24-hour watch for 11 days. I made him camp out in my room, just doing everything the doctor said. There was no beds open at any hospitals for adolescents, and so we were talking with the doctor daily and got him into a really good counselor, a lady we really liked, and the doctor put him on antidepressants, and the antidepressants made him very agitated, very angry, couldn't sleep, throwing up all the time, so I called his dad called the doctor. Oh, I called the counselor. I, I didn't um, call his physician because by now he was 18. Right. And, you know, for HEPA reasons, you can't do that. So I called his dad and then I called his counselor, talked to his counselor for probably an hour, hour and a half, said, I really am concerned about this medicine he's on. He's not sleeping. He's not eating. And he's thin anyway. He was only 125 pounds, but he was down to 112 pounds. Um, he had diarrhea, just a lot of issues. So she said, okay, I'll call his doctor and we'll get back to you. So he goes to see his counselor every Friday. He went to see his counselor. I called him. I said, how'd it go? He said, it went great. I said, he said, I, the doc, I'm going to see the doctor on Monday. So the doctor changed his medication to Zoloft, but nobody mentioned to his father or I, Hey, by the way, Two of the biggest side effects of Zoloft are delusions and suicidal fantasies. Nobody mentioned that. Wow. So when he found out he wasn't going to graduate, he decided to come back uh, to my house and live with me. So he came back, seemed to be doing good. He wasn't crying all the time. He was going to the gym and taking yoga. He was skateboarding with his friends. He was talking about college. Uh, he was back in school. He only had two more credits to make up, so he was back in school full-time and back with his old friends. And by all outward appearances, he seemed to be out of the depression. But he kept talking about strange things. He showed me pictures of Zachariah the prophet that were painted in the 1400s. And they looked just like him. There were two paintings that looked just like him. And he started telling me he thought he was a time traveler and that he was that person. And I'm like, son, first off, these paintings were painted a thousand years after Zachariah the prophet lived, so they don't really know what he looked like. And second off, you're not a time traveler. I gave birth to you. I was there. Mm. And he said, yeah, but remember you told me I wasn't even supposed to be born, that I was a miracle. Uh, it wasn't supposed to happen, and it happened. So, you know, how do you know I'm not a time traveler? And I'm like, well, because time travelers usually, like, walk through walls. They don't come through rooms. And <laughs> right. you're not a time traveler. Anyway, after that conversation, then he sent me some very bizarre texts about deja vu and having experienced things before and so I called his counselor a second time that was August 3rd talked to her probably for an hour and I said I don't know if he's exhibiting signs of schizophrenia if he's like having a mental breakdown um, I do know that he started smoking pot a lot with his friends I don't know if that's causing this but 
I, and I used the term, I said, he seems to be delusional. Right. And so she asked me a bunch of questions. I said, no, he's going to school. He's not missing school. He's participating with the family. He's, you know, probably 80% emotionally available. Yeah, he still holds up in his room and plays video games at night, but he's eating, he's exercising. She says, well, you know, he could just be exploring his, his spirituality. And, and I use the term delusional. And at no point did she say, well, you know, that's one of the side effects of Zoloft. At no time did anybody say, if he's not taking his meds you know, regularly, there's dangers of suicide. Nothing. Then he got very happy, was talking about college, picking furniture out of my house, saying, I'm going to take this, I'm going to get an apartment with Michael. He went on we went online and you know found the application for a film school he wanted to go to over by his dad Bellevue College has a really good film program he called my dentist and made an appointment to get in and get back into braces cuz his teeth had slipped i mean very positive things looking towards the future mm-hmm. and then he killed himself and the two page letter he left was insane ramblings about time travel and how he had to break the time loop continuum and he was stuck in the the wrong time loop and nothing about sadness, nothing about sorrow, nothing about depression, nothing about not being loved or being good enough, just all this crazy stuff about time travel. So it was after he passed that I sadly started doing the research and found out that the makers of Zoloft have known since they did the test on it years ago that in 47% of young people under the age of 24, 47% of the kids in the test, the blind test, had delusions and suicidal fantasies. Come on. I kid you not. Look it up. And they lied in the blind test and called it emotional disturbances. And somebody who had participated, a doctor who had participated in the blind test, alerted the FDA. And in 2000, the FDA said, oh, you bad people for not letting us know that 47% of young people under the age of 24 are delusional or want to kill themselves happily. It lifts the depression. They don't do it because they're sad. They get elated over the thought of suicide. And so what did the FDA do? They said you have to put a black box warning on the first box when somebody gets the pills. The first dose of pills has to come in a box that has a black box warning that says, oh, by the way, if you're under the age of 24, be aware that this could kill you, basically. Right. Because he was over the age of 18, the doctors were not obligated to tell anybody. Okay, hold on a second. First of all, let me just let everyone know that we're chatting with nationally syndicated radio host Delilah. And secondly, as a parent, you've got to be outraged. You've got to be angry. Am I wrong? I mean, how uh, you seem like the kind of person that might uh, pursue this further. Um, I definitely will pursue it further. Right now, all I can do is breathe and put one foot in front of the other. Um, We're waiting for the toxicology reports back from uh, the coroner. We haven't got those back yet. 
Um, I'm waiting to get his medical records from his doctors. But I, I know that I know that I know that I know that my son did not take his life because he was depressed. Yeah. My son took his life because he thought he was Zechariah, the prophet from the Old Testament, who was time traveling and was stuck in a time loop continuum that he did not belong in. And in his note, he says, I don't know how many times I'm going to have to repeat this. I'm going to wake up in my bed tomorrow morning and have to do it over again until I figure out how to time hop. He was completely delusional. He talked about how much he loved his dad, how much he loved me. Um, But like I said, there was no... I can't take the pain of this world. I don't want to live anymore. My heart is broken. You don't understand my depression. None of that. It was, I got to figure out how to cross this time loop continuum barrier. Delilah. Uh, 44,000 kids right now under the age of 24 are on a medicine. And 22,000 of them are going to have suicidal fantasies or delusions. How is that okay? I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm one of those crazy, whacked-out parents that reads the label of Jell-O before I give it to my kids. I grow 90% of our own food, Drew. We raise our own beef. We raise our own chicken. We raise our own eggs. We raise all of our own vegetables. We raise our own fruit. I dart up over 100 quarts of applesauce this fall so that my kids can eat applesauce with no additives, no sugar added, no colorants, no dyes, no bleaches. I grow all my own food with heritage seeds, so there's no GMOs. And I stupidly dropped the ball and didn't do the the research on the medicine they put my son on. Well, I can't be the first parent or person who cares about you to point out to you because right there that moment Delilah it sounded like you as any parent would we tend to take if there's any blame laying around even if we think it's not really ours we just pick it up and put it on ourselves when it comes to the health and welfare of our children especially when it comes to something as horrific as what you've been processing and so it just sounded like you just blamed yourself did I hear that right I blame myself for not um Doing the, it wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have changed the outcome because he was over eighteen, and I had no say. Once you're over the age of eighteen, you got no vote. You got no skin in the game. You got no, um, you got no say in what your kid does medically over the age of eighteen. And so, telling him if I had done the research, listen, this stuff is deadly, and I think you need to talk to your doctor, and I think we need to wean you off of it. Probably wouldn't he probably wouldn't have listened at that point because he was already gone. But I wish that I had known instead of going to the drugstore and picking up a freaking package and handing it to my son and saying, "Don't forget, you got to take it at the same time every day." I wish that I had known that I was saying, "Oh, by the way, I'm handing you poison that." 50% of the time, 47% of the time can cause you to lose your freaking mind. You'll feel better about it, though. You'll be happy about it. Who makes the medicine that does that, Drew? Yeah. So where do you put, where do you put this anger? 
Where, where do you like, you know, in order to process the, the in order to survive, just breathe every day. You've got to, I think, put that anger somewhere. You know, is it compartmentalization? I mean, what are you doing with your anger? What are you doing with your grief? And, and especially as, as, as a Jesus woman. You don't really do anything. I mean, when I lost Sammy, I lost my son Sammy because of medical malpractice, because I took him to a hospital where they didn't understand sickle cell anemia and they weren't treating him the way that he needed to be treated. And I had to... I had to physically remove him from that hospital and take him to another hospital, the Children's Hospital, Mary Bridge Children's, where they worked around the clock to try to save him. But it was too late because the damage had already been done. And I I had to learn to live with that. How old was Sammy? When you lose, uh, we think he was 16 or 17. He was adopted from an orphanage that had no records. So... um, we made up a birthday. <laughs> he picked one of his favorite soccer players' birthdays. But, um, <laughs> you know, that's been five years. And what I have to do is I have to remember that I was blessed to have my boys for the time that I had them. And none of us are promised to tomorrow. You know, if I had gotten a call that said, you know, Zach was snowboarding and he did a triple black diamond and he fell off a cliff and broke his neck. I would be just as devastated, but it would make sense to me. Mm. Sammy's death makes sense to me, as painful as it was, because Sammy had sickle cell anemia. Right. And sickle cell anemia is a non-curable, hereditary disease that, that took his life. Zach had no fear. Zach was born without the fear factor. He had 13 broken bones before he was... 13 years old because he was a daredevil and he loved adrenaline and he loved skiing and snowboarding and rock climbing and bouncing on the trampoline and doing triple backflips, you know? So had somebody, you know, had I got a call that said he was riding his skateboard down a steep hill and wiped out and broke his neck, it would have made sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that, was my son. But, you know, I, I have a friend that lost her daughter to a drunk driver who had been convicted three times. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense when something is so unfair and unjust. Okay, so because of the unfairness and the unjustness and the the illogical reality behind Zach's death, how do you take that to God? We live in a fallen world. Yeah, but you know as well as I do that, that there that you're promised you, us that was going to be just or fair. Are you telling me that you not once raised your fist up in the sky and said, "Seriously, two children I got to lose"? Yes and no. I mean, I definitely say seriously. Seriously, after you know, eighteen years of taking Zach to special classes, special therapy. He had infantile anorexia because he has sensory integration disorder. He didn't like the feel of baby food. I'm giving him baby food. I had to learn to feed him apples and peppers. You know, I Zach was a lot of work, and keeping him alive was a chore daily. I had to double fence my yard when he was little because he climbed on everything, and I found him 30 feet up in a tree one time when he was three years old. 
keeping Zach alive was hard work. And I say, seriously, after all the classes and the therapies and the fences and the trips to the hospital and the broken bones and the black diamonds that he would go careening down, this is is how he chooses to go home to heaven? Seriously? Mm. But I, I, I had to learn a long time ago, Drew. My kids are not my kids. The minute that that we start thinking that someone we love belongs to us, that's the minute that we're in big trouble. My mom was my age, 57, when God called her home. My daughter was a year old. She never knew her grandma. She'll, she'll never feel my mom's arms around her. I have a baby I'm adopting. He'll never know his big brothers. Those things break my heart. I miss my boys. I miss hearing Zach's voice every day. Except for the four months he lived with Doug, he's never been more than 10 feet away from me his whole life. When I travel for business, I take Zach. I miss him. And could God have stopped it? Of course he could. No doubt about it. He could have stopped Sammy's death could have stopped my mom's death. But I'm not mad at God. I'm not mad at Zach. I'm mad at a drug maker who thinks it's okay to give 18-year-old kids a a medicine that's going to kill them. That shouldn't be okay. You know, I said, I have a baby that we're trying to adopt. He's two years old, and I did all the research on car seats. I said, could you imagine going to buy a car seat and there being a, a black box warning on the back of the box of the car seat that says 53% of the time that you're involved in an accident, this car seat will save the life of your child. 47% of the time it will choke him out. Who would, yeah. <laughs> how would that be okay? Okay, Delilah, what does Christmas feel like? It's coming. It's a few days away. What's it feel like? Um... Well, I have no energy. One thing that grief does to me is uh, my brain, 95% of it is occupied with my son. (laughs) So that leaves very little energy left to do anything. So this year there's no baking, (laughs) no sewing, no painting. I usually spend all of October, November, December making homemade gifts for family and friends, and I can't. Not because I don't want to. I just can't. Mm-hmm. I can't drive more than a few miles because I end up in scary situations lost. Um, I have to lean a lot more than I'm used to. <laughs> you know, I've heard from others that uh, that they feel guilty when they even just explore the possibility of celebration or joy or Christmas cheer or whatever when they're when they're processing grief. Do you get that? Oh, I don't. No, I don't. I I understand it, but I don't feel that way. Zach, you know, if you knew Zach Drew, he loved to crack up and he loved he loved life. He loved. He was silly and funny, and he was that kid. You know that that would pull practical jokes on his siblings all the time. And he loved life to 
to not laugh and have joy and try to bring joy to my younger children wouldn't honor him. And, and that's not how I am. I mean, I'm not, I'm not walking around with a black veil over my face, wearing a long black dress, checking out of life. I still have to live. Mm-hmm. I still have little kids at home. I, I have an eight-year-old that is playing the violin and is in choir and was in the Christmas production and goes to, you know, a youth group on Wednesdays. And they all had Christmas pageants and concerts that to not show up at as much as I'd like to pull the sheets up over my head, that would break her heart. Yeah, It's bad enough she lost her brother. I don't want her to feel like she lost her mama, too. You are the mother of how many children? Fourteen, if this adoption goes through. Three biological through your marriage and ten more through adoption, if I, if I got my math right. Yep, and like I said, we're trying to adopt a toddler right now, so okay. it'll be eleven more through adoption if that happens. Grandchildren? 19 and come, 20 on the way. Come on. Yeah, kids are busy. Remember, of those of those grandkids, my husband Paul has five biological children he had with his former wife. And so it's not all my kids that busy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just want to read the, the post that you posted. And then get your response to it. Because it's been a few months. My dear friends, I need to share some devastating news with you. On Monday, October 2nd, my son Zachariah took his life. He was being treated, counseled, and embraced fiercely by family and friends while battling depression for some time now. My heart is broken beyond repair and I cannot fathom how to go on. But I have to believe he is at peace with the Lord and that God will get us through. I will be absent from the radio and on social media for a time as I grieve and try to process this loss with my family. In the meantime, we'll be playing some of my favorite shows from the recent past. I look forward to my return as you all lift me up so very much. Please pray for my beloved Zaki, and I will pray for all suffering from this debilitating disease called depression. Hearing that now, months later... Anything stand up for you? Well, like I said, it took a while to to understand because when I wrote that, I had just found out my son was gone. And I hadn't even seen the note yet. Um, The police took it. Uh, But after I saw the note and he left his phone unlocked, he told me in the note he would leave his phone unlocked so that I could read more. He had been journaling in his phone, um, I realized it wasn't the depression, it was the cure for the depression. It was the treatment for the depression. Hmm. You know, it was the medicine for the depression that was causing him um, in his journal blogs and his entries to that, um, that he was stuck in a time loop, you know. He had read The Wrinkle in Time in sixth or seventh grade, and that was in his room with his Uh, next to his desk, and um, he'd gotten into sci-fi and reading Stephen Hawkins and quantum physics and all of that combined with um, with the the medication, and um, 
a very creative mind caused him to be delusional. I guess, uh, Delilah, let's wrap this up by doing the proverbial, what advice do you give to those who are, who are, you know, processing grief this Christmas, processing loss. You know, we keep using the term darkness. What do you say to, to people that are walking into this Christmas uh, and they're just in it? They're in the darkness. Well, I don't feel like I'm in darkness. I'm in grief. Uh, you know, I can't go five minutes without crying. Uh, I'm I'm missing my boy more than there's there's no words to describe the feeling of realizing I'm not going to hold him again until eternity. I'm not going to get to touch his face or run my fingers through his hair until God calls me home. And since I've got little ones, I'm hoping that's a long time away. And, but I don't feel like I'm in a darkness. I'm surrounded by love. I am surrounded by uh, memories and people that embrace my son, his friends. God drew me the best friends. And they come and see me at least once or twice a week. We have a little memorial at the farm. Two guys who work for me built a little memorial. It's a bench and a cross and uh, like a table. And his friends come and leave little mementos. And he loved Mountain Dew. And they bring cans of Mountain Dew and notes and pictures. And there is so much love, it's palpable. It's just hard to wrap your head around the fact that somebody that you spend every day of your life with is suddenly gone. Mm-hmm. I have to believe that um, you know. I don't. I don't. People say, "Oh, your son gained his gained wings." That's not even theologically correct. Angels with wings don't become humans, and humans with wings don't, or humans don't become angels. Mm -hmm. My daughters believe, uh, because of their church, that he is resting until the trumpets sound, that he's just asleep. And when God comes back, he'll wake up. I believe that he is presently with God in heaven, and that there is no time. The Bible says that a day in heaven is as, as if a thousand years on earth. So by the time he looks around and shakes his head and says, okay, time hopping didn't work. <laughs> that was dumb. Where's my mom? I'll be there. Mm-hmm. I'll be there. I don't have to go through the grief I have to go through. Mm. It's just going to be hard between now and then missing him plus he was a huge personality you know that's the problem with him and Sammy they were such great kids they just filled the whole room with their personality they weren't quiet little church mouses that barely made a ripple in the ocean you know they were tsunamis of personality and I missed that 
I want to finish this by telling you a couple of things. First of all, as an outsider, but as a parent, this sucks. But it, it, it is forcing me to process things that I would not be forced to process had I not had someone I care about be in the middle of this. Secondly, you and I have a weird connection thing, and it's good, it's goofy, and I love you, and I'm, I'm just... I, I'm sorry. And number three, I cannot wait to see what's next for you. Whether it's on air or off air. Because I know you, Delilah, and I know you enough to know that the teachability and authenticity that flows through your blood means that I just can't wait to see what's next for you. Well, I can't wait for God to come back. I don't want to die to go see my son, my sons. I want to see them, but I don't want to die and leave my other children grieving. So I'm just saying, come back now, God. Just come back so we can all be together, please. Don't tarry. I don't want to wait 20, 30, 40 years. I just, I just want to be with them. Now my kid's here and my kid's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... That's that's my prayer is that uh, that that event that was prophesied, you know, thousands of years ago would happen sooner than later. Yeah. Well, thank you for being such a huge part of our Christmas special this year, Delilah. I really appreciate it. So one last thing I want to say is people are saying, you know, Christmas is going to be hard or New Year's is going to be hard or his birthday is going to be hard. And the thing I would say is every day is hard. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I didn't just see my son on Christmas. I didn't just see my son on his birthday. I talked to him every day of his life. I kissed him goodnight every day of his life. Every day is hard. But I'm not going to diminish the joy of the holidays for my other kids. Because our hearts are breaking. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right, hon. Love you. Love you too. Thank you, Delilah. Bye. Bye bye.